What's up, guys? It is Friday. That means time is running out to get your WGT Challenge of the Week score in. It's closest to the whole challenge. FreeWGT.com to download. Go to Congressional Hole number 6 of that closest to the whole challenge for the week. Play the hole. Get the ball as close as you can. Send it in to us at info at thednvr.com or on Twitter, DNVR Avalanche. Pretty sure most of you understand the rundown by now, but if you get the closest to the hole on the week, you'll win a free DNVR shirt or gift card to a local restaurant, and you'll get your weekly entry into the grand prize of Avs tickets or a jersey of your choosing if you live out of state. FreeWGT.com, closest to the hole challenge, congressional hole number six. Get in there, knock it in the hole. Let's just get into this show real quick today. And Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole, a left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scores. Nathan McKinnon. Cole J.T. Comfer. 877 goes now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious. Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their Colorado locations and use their express checkout to be in and out in minutes or check out online at mygreensolution.com and use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. And the news of the day is a bit more about the Avs prospects and the World Junior Championships. Now, teams are not completely solidified yet, but most of the major cuts have been made at this point. And of the five Avs prospects that were invited to camps, as of now, four are still around. The one we're going to talk about first is the guy who didn't make it, though, in Alex Newhook, as it's a bit of an interesting situation. He had been playing fantastically in college. He got the invite to camp where he played fantastically in the exhibitions. Pretty much everyone around the team said they expected him to make it. Team Canada went and did Team Canada things and decided to cut him anyway. AJ, anything to read into this beyond good things for Alex Newhook, to be honest, even if he didn't make the team? Uh, I mean, I know that there are some Canadians who are upset uh, and and have been feeling like this is a big surprise and big letdown. I honestly was surprised that there were so many people out there who felt like he was going to make the team. I... When I saw the when I saw that the invite roster, I thought, "Wow, they are really heavy at forward." And it's Team Canada; like they have an insane pool to pick from every year, anyway. And I I was disappointed, especially after he played as well as he did in the exhibition games. I thought that that might have given him a push to at least be like the twelfth, thirteenth. 14th forward if they wanted to do that you know they wanted to um 
depending on the NHL kids, guys like Kirby Doc and like what the what the expectation was there. So it's I, I think it's disappointing. Um but given like you said, he's played so well at BC and did play well in the exhibitions. Still have to feel like it's nothing but uphill for, for Alex Newhook. Yeah. It everything since he got moved back to center at BC, we've talked about this before. Everything has fallen into place for him. He's scoring extremely consistently in college. He did gets to go back now and, and continue playing for that team. Really. He's about to hit his Christmas break. So he won't be playing that much because he's not at this world junior tournament, but still a very solid year for him. A bit disappointing that he didn't make the team. Obviously kind of expected, for me, I know you said a lot of people thought he should make the team. This is a guy that Team Canada has never really put a shine to. Last year, he wasn't invited to the Holinka team, wasn't even really considered for a lot of top tournaments around the world, even as a player that was expected to go pretty high relatively in the first round. Yeah, um, their approach to him seems weird. Uh, And I don't know all the ins and outs of Hockey Canada, but I know that there were a number of upset Canadians who were tweeting at me about how Hockey Canada doesn't like kids who go to college. I don't I don't know if you want to touch on that any further or if that's just one of those things where it's like it might be true. We just don't really know. I mean, I don't know the inner workings of Team Canada that well. I can say there definitely is a lean towards players that play in Canadian major juniors. I don't know how much of that is specifically college players because there are a lot of other factors that go into that. A lot of it has to do with pedigree. Obviously, a player like Kale McCarr went to college. He still got invited Yes, you can talk about how they played him as a seventh defenseman despite him being the best defenseman on that team, things like that. At the same time, Shane Bowers also made that Team Canada team the next year as a bit of an older player coming out of college, and they used him in their bottom six just fine. He fit in probably where he should have been on that team. So I think it's a bit of a combination of the youth side of things and that college level of play especially someone coming out of a junior A league in Canada, they tend to lean more towards the players that get a little bit more coverage in Canada nationally. You get players in the major juniors that are on Sportsnet, are on TSN, you know, once a month, things like that. So there are certainly some interesting decisions being made in what, who was it? I think... I uh, was it button. Someone big called it the inner circle of team Canada. And it, it's always kind of been that way. There's definitely a political side to it. It's just not something I'm super privy to. It does seem like they make some interesting decisions every year. And, yeah. and like, again, like some, I think some of the countries have pretty easy choices because they don't have waves and waves of draft picks to pick through. Right. You just take your best players 20 and under. There's no like <laughs> sifting through <laughs> like like Czech Republic a couple years ago when it had uh, when it had the guys like Kaut and uh, the kid who got drafted by Detroit, whose name escapes me, Zadina. Um, 
like that was like an easy like oh hey these are the best kids from this age group and they always have been and well here we go yep team canada has a little tougher time with that because they're they're like okay well we've got some of these kids who have already been drafted who are all really good and then we've got this next wave who's really good and i just i think that's probably a tougher job than it would be with most other countries um you know the Americans last year, really easy job. Just take that draft class. And um, go. Yeah, I mean, the American side, they have a national team that just plays together all the time, right? So. <laughs> right, like, just take the DP kids and roll with it. And if somebody makes, somebody, like, breaks into that, great. <laughs> we'll, yep. take, we'll take the guy who's been so good that we have to include him. No problem. Exactly. And and the thing with Newhook is he will be eligible again next year. Depending on how things shake out, he may well make the team in that case. Well, and let's 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 transition into that a little bit. Yeah, because he has had a very productive year uh, at BC this season. I think that the the standard feeling from most of us around the organization is two years at BC, just because there's certainly no rush, and I still think that we're seeing a little bit of the Tyson Joseph effect here at play. Um, maybe I, I think the reason I'd like to see new hook stay in the NCAA for another season is going to be his defensive game. I don't think he has that much to gain right now playing the offensive way he's shown at center. He can do what he likes to do on that side of the puck, but he still has a, bit of an engagement issue on the defensive side you can see he's just uninterested in playing it at times unless there's a loose puck type of scenario not unlike some other prospects that the abs have and the ncaa game is very very good at working on defensive structure with players and getting them into a mindset of having to play on that side of the ice as well so i think that could help him a lot as far as turning pro would be concerned with a player like that. I don't see how he makes the Avs roster next season, unless you're giving up on a player like Shane Bowers. And that doesn't make any sense to do. Do are, are there any examples off the top of your head? Obviously, since I didn't tell you about this before the show, <laughs> are there any examples that you can think of? Cause I'm struggling to, to come up with any of guys who left college after a year, like high pedigree guys who left college after a year, but did not go to the NHL. Um, I'm sure there's some, but yeah, it can't, especially with first first rounders that never happens. Basically. It just seems like those guys stay in college until They're they ready get to the, make the jump. They, yeah. they get the, okay, come be, uh, come be in the, in the NHL full-time thumbs up from their organization. Like, um, I'm I'm thinking about like maybe a guy like Ryan Paling, but Ryan Paling three years at St. Cloud. Right. It's you, you enter this middle ground, right? It, it usually works better for both sides for the player to stay in college because either he stays in college until he's clearly ready for the NHL mm-hmm. or after a couple of years, it becomes clear to both sides that, okay, this is not a player that's going to jump directly into the NHL and we can manage that. 
at the pro level by giving that guy a bunch of AHL time and see how close he really is. They're, if you don't do that, if you try to rush the system, that's where you start getting into the Tyson Jost territory. And I'm not a, as big a detractor as many people are. I think Tyson Jost is fine as what he is in the NHL. I think given the situation the Avs were in, bringing him in to that NHL system immediately was fine. I don't think it particularly stunted him as much as some people think. Mm-hmm. I think the reality was he was just never going to live up to that pick. And that is what it is. Well, it's easy to forget now, but Tyson Jost was like a stud his one year in college. Yeah. He was a point per game player. Like, basically he was, he was not a like Kale McCarr his first year. It was easy to be disappointed, right? He was fine, but nothing special. Like, he's like a 20, he puts up like, what, something like 20 points or something, and you're just like, yeah, it was was okay. And the team was not very good defensively at the NHL level still. There was still opportunity there. And so, it was like, okay, well, they could offer him if he wants to, and... He was like, no, 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 I'll go back. And, you know, I think that there's still stuff for me to work on. And then we saw the second year was a godsend for him. And right now, you know, we wouldn't change a single thing. But you can wonder, you know, there's, there's, you can wonder. I, I've all, I tend to agree with you with regards to the Jost. And um, I don't know how much that stunted his growth that he left after a year. Um, but this is, again, a, a, he was a junior A kid that went to the NCAA. You know, who knows what that second year would have would have brought for him. Um, a lot of those guys, you know, have they either get hurt in their second year or it's just kind of OK, where it became obvious that like, OK, well, there's not another gear for this guy to get at this level. Like you look at uh, his teammate, a great example, Brock Besser, you know, had a great freshman year and then stuck a, st- stood a, stuck around for the second season and like it was a fine year, like n- nobody had an issue with it, right? It was, it wasn't like, oh, this is a terrible season. All of a sudden, we're not going to sign him. You know, it wasn't anything like that. But it wasn't on the same level as the freshman season. And he left, and it was like, okay, like it was, it was very obviously time for him to go. It didn't hurt him or anything, but it was obvious. And it's, I think it's easy to look at Jost and the one year and McCarr and the two years, and say you know, what could have been. And with new hook, you just, especially with the NHL roster being what it is, he, he's not making the team. There's nowhere for him to go, man. Just to kind of wrap up this first period on those points, Brock Besser was on Tyson Joe's team his freshman year. That North Dakota team was very, very good. Kale McCarr at UMass that first year, that team was terrible. It was Kale McCarr and Mario Ferraro as NHL caliber talents, and that's it, basically. So you do have to take surroundings and current situation into account when you're looking at a player's point totals and things like that. Tyson Jost gets to play with a good team, puts up more points. Just kind of makes sense. And with someone like Besser, that's don't be surprised if that's what happens with Newhook. Like I said, that second year, a lot of that is going to be Newhook focusing on playing a way that needs to work in the NHL. And a lot of the time, the points come down 
because of that or stay stagnant or whatever you want to call it. There, it's happening somewhat this year with Bowen Byram, who I'm sure we'll get to. Point I was just going to make. Everything, yeah, exactly. Focusing on the defensive details comes at a cost. Yep. Uh, that Byram is doing something very specific this year that they are asking him to do, and and like we knew the the, the offense was going to come down anyway. Like we knew that that guy wasn't going to score thirty goals in the WHL <laughs> this year. Right. That's okay. It's fine if he scores like ten or something. Like it's not a big deal. Um, but going back and focusing on the defensive details this year should help him make a huge jump next season. And when we do get to, to Byram here in a few minutes, you know, I think it'll be, it'll have a significant impact. And I do think that we should prepare ourselves for year two of new hook in college. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end this first period. Watching prospects is Always a thing I enjoy, especially with a beer in my hand. So it's time to acknowledge Breckenridge Brewery as the official beer of DNVR. Breckenridge Brewery is Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits Brewery of the Month. You can download their app and enjoy a six-pack for only $7.99 all month long. So if you're looking for that Christmas ale with the holidays upon us, you can grab it for nice and cheap. Get on it while you still can. Or if you just want to go to your local liquor store, you can find any number of Breckenridge beers there as well. And keep an eye on the Breckenridge event calendar. The next Abs Watch Party is now just five days away. It's going to be at the Sports Column on December 18th. Come out, have some Breck Brew with us, watch the Abs hopefully win a game, and yeah, just have a good time. We'll be back in a second. Second period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. Talking Abs prospects and WJC with Rudo and AJ. Bowen Byram. Obviously made the team, no surprise there. Been pretty fantastic for the team in these exhibition games. They have him playing on his offside quite a bit, but on the top pairing. So big things expected out of the kid. Very smooth player. Yep. Not Kiyomakar. Definitely not going to be that electric force at the WJC. I've already started to get a couple of those tweets come in from people who just don't watch prospects. Yeah. And it's like, AJ, should I be worried? Bowen Byram doesn't seem to be Kale McCarr. And it's like, well, there are a lot of people in the world who have that problem. (laughs) There aren't even that many players in the NHL that are like Kale McCarr. Right. Well, and it's it's like the guy's off to a historic start in his rookie year, you know, by a number of different uh, fancy metrics, underlying metrics, things like that, the, the models that people use. He's been one of the most valuable players in the NHL this season. Yeah. So let's like, let's not hold that as a realistic bar for Bowen Byram because that's soup's unfair. <laughs> Not only is it not a realistic bar, it's just a completely different role than what Byram is going to be asked to play from Team Canada. They want him to play a billion minutes a game, whereas Makar was put into a very specific offensively minded role. Mm -hmm. And they want Byram to just go out there and shut other teams down for the most part. And yes, he'll still get his points in. He still picked up a handful of assists in these exhibition games, which is great. He's able to do both sides of that. And mm-hmm. that Team Canada has always been a team that's very much will take 
whatever players we want and we'll put them in whatever roles we want. So the fact that Byram has been given this much freedom to play this much, I think is a very good thing. Yeah. Um, all of the, all of the apprehension that we see with new hook is not present with Byram. Exactly. They clearly have full trust in Byram and they want him to be a key piece to the team. And that's not a surprise. Fourth overall draft pick. Again, you get into that pedigree talk. Mm-hmm. They feel like they have to include those members of the team. But Byram is one that has been hyped in Canada quite a bit. So he gets a lot more freedom than, say, a Kale McCarr did. Well, and I mean, his whole life. Yeah, exactly. You know, he was a top bantam pick for the Giants. Yep. And... You know, ex- I mean, he's been the center of expectations in Canada for a very long time. And that he just keeps checking the boxes is a testament to what a great young player that he is. He is. But he just continues to live up to all of this. It's very impressive. And uh, this is this is this event was a major reason for sending him back this year. Yes. Um, to I would let say him the biggest reason. I would also say that the number one reason is to let him go to WJCs because you knew he was going to. There was there's no guarantee whatever happens with him and the Giants, uh, it looks like they're gonna go for it based on some of the early moves that they've made. Um, but it looks like they might be in go for it mode and just hope to capitalize on it instead of yeah. well, we're just not quite good enough and let's sell these guys off and try again some other time. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no guarantee that Byram makes makes a deep run to the Memorial Cup is what I'm saying. Yeah, I and don't like, think that Vancouver love, team is good enough, to be honest, even with moves. But You would love to, and they weren't last year, and they got as literally as close as it gets. Right. Um, but you would love to have your prospect involved in the Memorial Cup. You'd love to have all those guys go to that. But ne- since you can't guarantee that, next best thing is for him to be heavily involved in a top team on WJCs, this is the number one reason that Bowen Byram is back in junior this year is the Avs wanted to see him work on those defensive details in the WHL and then transfer that over to WJCs at the highest caliber event for his peer group. And if he excels here and he, you know, he does what you want him to do, then you're good. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe I would still say doubtful because of where they're likely to be, but maybe you consider bringing him along at the end of the season and having yeah. him, having him join your playoff roster. That would be, I would say injuries only injuries and Vancouver would have to get bounced pretty early. I would think. You're yeah. not going to mess with a roster that's, you know, in the conference finals. I mean, depending on the injury situation. Right. Of course, if people are breaking down, that's a different scenario. But yeah, I mean, if you if you lose three guys to injury. That's when I think you have that conversation. But even then, it's like, are you really going to drop Bowen Byron in there? You're going to you're going to play Callie Rosen or Mark Perperi or one of those guys. Yeah, you're I mean you're picking at scraps one way or another if you're yeah. down three defensemen, so and then next season fully expect Bowen Byram to be in Denver. 
Yeah, I don't see any reality where he's not. I mean, I guess if he absolutely bombs out of this WJC, <laughs> yeah. which I do not see happening at all, then maybe you have that conversation. But as it stands right now, he looks like he's going to excel and get every opportunity to be the guy on the defense in this WJC. And that should just hold down his spot as going to be in the NHL next year. Definitely. Um, All signs are pointing towards that where, you know, new hook, we can wait. We can still wait a year. With Byram, I mean, it's still it's still complicated. The roster math is still very complicated for next season. Yeah. Ian Cole is still under contract. Nikita Zadorov is an RFA. Kelly Rosen's an RFA. The only one where you're just like, okay, well, Mark Roberto's contract is up, and that's it. It, And then you throw Connor Timmons into that mix as well. and Right, right. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, Connor Timmons – has up to this point, you know, we don't know what the rest of the year provides, but up to this point been your best defenseman for the Eagles. You could make a case that Connor Timmons has been the best player on the Eagles this year, like legitimately. Well, there you go. (laughs) I mean, and this was after he missed an entire year of development. So, you know, there's, there's no rust anymore and it's only going to continue to get better for Connor Timmons. So the only thing that you can maybe say holds Bowen Byron back is just roster math. Yeah. And, and even then I, let's face it for a guy like Byron teams, make the space, right? I mean, you don't sit around and you're not like, Oh, well, you know, Ian Cole's been exactly what we wanted. The, The real question is like, what do you do with Ryan Graves at that point? Right. He's done everything that you've asked at a much higher level than than you've asked and has grown into a super legitimate asset. I'm actually going to head to the game early tonight because I am going to try and get a couple of scouts on record for my Graves feature that I'm working on. And I want to get I want to get their perspective because I talked to I know, I know I've talked to two of these guys a couple years ago who were down on him after the trade and they were just like, yeah, you know, we'll see. And I'm like, okay, well now let's revisit that. Let's, let's see how they feel about graves now. And that what also prevents, kinda, yeah. yeah. And that also presents an obstacle, you know, a, a one that's a good obstacle. Like the fact that Ian Cole has one more year left on his deal as, as like a roadblock to something and Ian Cole's been pretty solid for this team. Like that they are going to have nine legit guys that they're trying to make, make the roster next year. Like, Oh no, not that. Heaven forbid they have too many good players and have to either bench one of them or get value out of one of them. Well, and this is, this is why you have the Taylor hall conversation, right? As a little bit of a lead into tonight with the devils in town. This is why you even have the conversation in the first place. It's not, it's not, oh, we're so excited to trade Connor Timmons. It's just that, well, you know, where do we fit him into the roster? And, you know, Bo Byram is our top guy at that position. And he's just happens to be the closest, but we've got other guys here who are winning jobs. You know, you're, we're watching Nikita Zadorov kind of transform himself right now. And if that ends up as a more permanent transformation and not, 
not just a good solid like 10, 11, 12 games, whatever it is now, then, you know, you're all of a sudden you're like, well, what do you do? Because you don't want to just sit there and just let assets walk. You know, you're not like they let Patrick Nemeth leave last year, and that was perfectly acceptable given that situation. But you don't want to continue to do that. Defensemen are always at a premium in the NHL. You don't want to continue to develop defensemen for other teams. And I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. This sounds crazy. After the last 10 years of Avalanche hockey, I'm talking about the Avs developing guys for other clubs now. Right. It's it's kind of crazy to think about that, especially. The Avs have benefited from other teams developing defensemen. Sam Girard coming from Nashville. Patrick Nemeth came from Dallas off of waivers. And yeah. there's two ways to go about that. You can go the trade route and get something back for him. Sure. Nashville's trade maybe didn't work out the great greatest for them, but that's a whole lot more than Dallas got for losing Nemeth on waivers. So. Yeah. And, and I just, you know, him walking in, in UFA was fine because Ryan Graves hadn't stepped into this role fully yet. Sure. And so moving a guy like Nemeth at the deadline, just, it, it made sense, but there was also a very easy to understand argument of why you don't do it. Right. Where, where the abs have put themselves right now is they need to be having a serious conversation about moving one of these cats at the deadline through no fault of their own, like through no fault of that player, just that the position that they're in, because these guys all are all going to have value somewhere around the league and they can't just, continue to let assets walk for free exactly they've built too good of a they've built too valuable of a defense with two two prospects that are still to come up who are you expect are ready to take jobs in the next i mean it's december already so in the next nine months are looking at taking nhl jobs yeah and i would say certainly in the next nine months you it's hard not to see a, a roster where both Timmons and Byram are on it at the start of next season. Yeah. And so, you know, Graves has forced his way into that into that have to keep conversation. Yeah. And you know, maybe Callie Rosen takes over the Mark Barbario job. Sure. It's just too it's it's insane that they're this talented and that you know Bo Byram or Connor Timmons. Like Connor Timmons, I think, is I think in previous years, Connor Timmons would have already been up with the team. But they've gotten too too strong of play out of the guys that are in front of him where they're just like, well. And it's not the worst situation given that Timmons hasn't, you know, he's got like 30 pro games or whatever, however many games the Eagles have played now. You know, 20, 25 yeah. pro games, whatever it is. Like, it's easy to say. But once Connor Timmons gets into year two, you're like, okay, well. This doesn't. This isn't necessary much longer, right? I, yeah, exactly. He's already proven that he can handle the professional game, and mm-hmm. it's fine if you want to put him on a the track of let him get his year under his belt or whatever. I'd like to see him call up again. It wouldn't surprise me if the Avs use him again this year. But Boy, man, I, I, to be honest, buddy, I would, I would really, really struggle with the idea that. That they don't bring him up at some point to give him another look. That the first two looks he the the only looks he gets all year, the first two games of the season, 
after he's had the kind of year that he's had in the AHL. Cause like, I'm not going to sit here and say he's been a dominant player down there, but he's been very good. And like all of the conversation about, well, how's Nick Malosh looked? Well, there's been ups and there's been downs. None of that has been like Connor Timmons. Connor Timmons has been very good for the Eagles. He has. And I agree with you to an extent. He should get more NHL games this year. I think he has way, way more to gain from getting NHL games. But we've seen from this front office before, if there's something on the line in the second half of the season, they do not like to do that. They want to scrap and fight for every single two points. Now, if they're securely in second place with 10 games left. Right here is what's so interesting, right? Yep. Because what if they are, they do get to 15 points, or I'm sorry, they are clearly in the postseason. They are 15 points ahead of the the cutoff line for making the postseason altogether. Right. They're in a battle for first place, but say that they're five points back of St. Louis, and they are solidly in that second, third spot coming down to the final 10 games of the season. Yeah, that's where do you they just really do it for fun? On it. I, it's not just for fun. I think it's for organizational knowledge. You can afford to learn more about what you have in your system at essentially no cost. Sure, you might not keep yourself in that battle for first place, but if you're five, six points out anyway, the reality is it probably wasn't going to happen. And I worry the team will think, oh, we need to be the second. We don't want to be the third. We've talked about them wanting that home ice advantage. So I do think it may take them being securely in that second place in the division spot to commit to it, but it would be real nice if they did. I think that this is also a conversation where they have the responsibility. This is what we talked about coming into the season. It was more of a Martin Kout based conversation. Yeah, and then he got hurt, and that was sad. But. Right, uh, but this is the Timmons. Like, if Cout had pushed hard at the start of the season uh, and, and not had the start of the year that he had, you know, then even even without the injuries, had he come up and he's shown well, and they were like, well, we're just going to continue to send him down and whatever, right? Yeah. <sighs> they have a responsibility to try and find jobs for these guys. I agree 100%. One of the biggest gripes I have with this organization is being overly patient with their professional prospects. And they just have been. Well, and the, the, I think the frustration that I have is that I don't necessarily agree with you. They've been really patient with some and they've been not even remotely patient with others. That's fair. They have their chosen ones. Right. And, and like, it seems to, you know, and not every player is the same and not every situation is the same. So you don't have like a, oh, well, this is how we go about things. So we need to treat everybody like this, right? Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. But you do want to treat a guy like Connor Timmons like, hey, this guy destroyed the OHL and was going to push for your NHL roster immediately. And then the, you know, the lost season happened. And one of the reasons they were so careful with him is because he was such a valuable prospect. He's now rebuilt that value as a top prospect because he's healthy and he is chewing up the AHL. 
very impressive start, a very good start to his pro career and showing that this is an NHL player. Like that's, that's even right now, even if he's a low end NHL player right now, he's an he's an NHL caliber player and where he goes from there. If they, you know, you can't just wait for something bad to happen all the time in order to open up the opportunity. You can't wait for, okay, well, they've got two defensemen out now. You can't wait for two more injuries to take place to to justify bringing the guy, the, the guy up. And then, you know, okay, well, he got two games and now one guy came back and he's the first guy back. That's not, that's not what you want to do with top prospects. That's great. That's why you sign guys like Jason Megna, TJ Tynan, and Mark Alt. That's what you do with those guys because you know what they are and what they aren't. But with top prospects, you don't treat them that way. You want to bring them up. You want to give them opportunities. You want to give them real meaningful looks and see how things go and work with them and develop. And some of those guys are going to kill it. Some of them aren't. And then, you know, then you you go from there. But you got to give them real looks. And you have to find reasons to give them looks instead of instead of just waiting for injury all the time the fear of the unknown needs to stop. And I wonder, I think this is where this is where Bedner as the NHL coach has surprised me because I figured as a guy with multiple coaching stints in the AHL and even in the ECHL, by and large, he has been a development coach. His most of his pro his pro coaching career has been, it's been all about development. And although, you know, to a lesser extent in the ECHL, I understand, but still somewhat a little bit. His approach once he's gotten to the NHL has surprised me a little bit because a guy coming from a development background, you think would be a little more open to it. And we have seen the last two years, it's been very, we're trying to win. And that's all we're trying to do. And maybe that is a function of where they've been in the standings. It is a hundred percent possible because they've been in the same exact spot the last two years of, we are desperate for every single point. We absolutely need every point down the stretch to make the postseason. We cannot be messing around. Yeah. I, it's a, I do think it is a bit of a function of that. And it's, the thing is, there are those specifics, right? He sees a Kale McCarr and he's not afraid to drop someone in because they believe that McCarr will help them win immediately. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, the Bednar in the front office is a little bit more apprehensive about guys that are even just a single step down from that level. Right. Like it was easy to say, Kale McCarr, come help us. Right. It was very easy to say that because he had been so dominant. He'd accomplished things that had not been accomplished at that level before. So, you know, he came, what, one point away from being the first defenseman ever to lead the country in scoring? Like, like it was not a difficult decision. Like, how they treated McCarr stands out in contrast, but it was also, like, you don't give him a ton of credit for that because... It was not a hard decision to look at that and be like, oh, well, he's a special player. Like, everybody knew that. (laughs) Right. I I mean, we got to wrap this second period up because we're running way long here. But 
I think it sums it up the whole Ryan Graves situation. They brought him in as a change of scenery prospect, and they still attempted to play Mark Alt, Anton Lindholm, and then they got to Graves. And thankfully, mm-hmm. Graves got his opportunity. He proved himself, and he stuck. But the Avs were just so apprehensive of giving him the chance in the first place. Right. I think I should go back and look that up, but I think Graves was like their fourth or fifth D call up last year. Yeah. When they yeah. and it was in the second half of the season, they finally got it was like Jesus, we've got this organization with all these other all these other guys who aren't getting looks. And like Nick Malosh, again, like one of your top D prospects, was not on that list, was not one of those guys they called up last year. Right. Exactly. And and that's kind of where the problem goes in, but gotta end the second period here. Connor Timmons, once upon a time, had the nickname of the Golden Boy. So it's time to tell you guys about Gold Boys, wholesale and distribution. If you've not been out there yet, you're in for quite a treat when you go. Gold Boys, wholesale and distribution is all about innovative, top quality products from their own clothing line to brands such as Cookies and Supreme. They have delicious CBD drinks, lip balms, bath scrubs, vape pens, gummies, bunch of other stuff as well and they also carry their own denver made line of cbd products quantum muscle rub rehab x and many more you can check them out at their store or online today and have products shipped straight to your door the inside of their smoker boutique is something you have to see for yourself it was designed to inspire motivate and enlighten people we're talking huge murals of Nelson Mandela, Oprah, Martin Luther King Jr., and a bunch of a bunch of other quotes and inspirational sayings on the walls. It's truly a one-of-a-kind shop. Be sure to check it out. Or again, you can go to goldboys303.com to order online. And if you're buying in bulk, call 720-372-9843 and they'll take care of you. Gold boys, where everything is gold. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche. Second time you've done that, and it's caught me off guard both times. Yeah, you're not a Japanese fan? I don't speak it. I am ultra pasty. I mean, I don't really speak it either. I took like one year of it in college, and that was it. So, But you remember how to count, apparently. Just enough to be a weeb, that's all. Third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by the Green Solution with Rudo and AJ. We're talking prospects. We're talking the Avs situation with their roster. Obviously, New Jersey's coming to town. Taylor Hall is around. That's a little bit of the conversation with, hey, maybe the Avs have some defensive prospects to spare in that regard or it's not a prospect and an NHL roster player, whatever you want to call it. The fan base, the abs fan base seems fairly divided on this Taylor Hall situation or insert X player. If it's not Taylor Hall, Tyler Toffoli, mm-hmm. Chris Kreider, whoever you want to put in there about giving up prospects at all to add to this team this year. AJ, uh, where do you feel on that? I know you're very apprehensive about giving up someone like a Connor Timmons. So I'm curious to get that side of it from you. Yeah. I mean, I'm the, the cost is always the conversation for me. Like I'm never opposed to taking a look at making your team better. Uh, And it's not like the abs don't have opportunities to improve. Uh, I think the people who have talked about them going out and getting a top four defenseman are out to lunch. I don't see that happening. Um, because it would be very temporary knowing Timmons and Byram are on the way. Like it, it would just be a, 
that's a commitment to a short-term thing. Right. So, but hey, you know, I, if somebody wanted to give away a top defenseman for relatively cheap, cool. Like I'm, I'm not saying they shouldn't pursue it. Just, I just doubt that they're willing to pay the price for uh, a premium position that I think they're going to be just fine in moving forward. Uh, the the cost of the the cost is always the conversation for me. I, I I never look at a player and write it off completely and say, oh, don't do that. You know, it's always what does it cost? And <laughs> right now the Avs are a little draft pick light and prospect heavy. So guys that people may be attached to are the ones that we're talking about teams wanting to to pursue because the Avs don't have a second rounder and they have, I think just Toronto's third rounder uh, after all the wheeling and dealing over the summer and then, uh, you know, their own first and so on and so forth, but not having that second rounder, which is the one that they have been most comfortable trading in these kinds of deals over the years uh, is a, is a big uh, hole in the, in, in the ammo pile, I guess. Um, uh, trading Timmons, trading Byram, trading Newhook, those three for me should be as close to off limits as as you can be. Byram is completely off limits unless somebody is offering us a, a stud, you know, to the point where it wouldn't even make sense, right? Like if Winnipeg called up and said, eh, we're willing to offer you Patrick Line, then you might talk, yeah. you might be willing to talk Byram at that point. Elias Peterson, one for one or something. Yeah, right. Like if somebody offered up like a very clear upgrade. Uh, on the wing for them and a, a young player that's going to be around uh, for a long time. You have to consider that you just do. Yeah. Um, the, the guys after those three, I am very open to moving all of them depending on the deal. Um, I see. I lump Timmons into that category as well. Timmons is in, is as, <laughs> if I was if I was making uh let's say uh not really a Venn diagram but we'll go with a Venn diagram because it's easy to it's easy to visualize and I've got Byram and Newhook over in the untouchable circle and then in the willing to deal high like high end guys that willing to deal is is the other circle Connor Timmons would be the the overlap of the circles. The Connor Timmons line of tradeability. Right. Where got it. Like there, there is like New Hook and Byram are not going anywhere for a realistic offer. Timmons, I would move in certain packages. Um a guy like Hall would be one that I would consider. That caliber, it would have to be that caliber of player. I'm not talking about Timmons with any none of this Chris Kreider, Tyler Toffoli stuff. Not having that conversation. No. Um, it would have to be a tip top player like Taylor Hall for Connor Timmons to be involved in that deal. Otherwise, no, it might even just be Taylor Hall only <laughs> given what we expect the market to kind of look like this trade market to look like. Uh, so that would be, that would be the only one where I would consider it. And then, you know, after that NHL, like guys off the NHL roster, there's not many that I would, uh, that, that would be worth it. Um, that would be worthy pieces. It's really like the obvious one is Tyson Jost, right? Yeah. So the reality of that situation. And, and that's, 
you know, that's not me calling him a bust. That's not even saying I I think they should pursue a, a Tyson Joe Steele, just that if a team called and they that was the cost of of doing business to get better, uh to to get a long-term upgrade in their top 6, you know, that's that's something you have to be willing to move on from. So Tyson Jost is the most expendable forward under 24 that actually has value on this team. That's yeah. just what it is. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. And uh, it's, even that's a complicated situation. So uh, I I do think that I do think that the the prospects base is set up very nicely for them to move on to to make a big move and survive it. Because in the past, it's been like. They've got three to five meaningful prospects at any given time, and then a whole bunch of who knows. Right now, they've got five guys that are guys that you feel comfortable could should be NHL players. Yep. And then you've got after that, you know, you've got the Ananins and the Sample Rantas, Nick Henry, um, Kovalenko, you know, guys that maybe they're lower end NHL players, but NHL players, maybe even a Cam Morrison who I still really don't know how to properly value. So somewhere in there. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's, it's always a tough conversation on, on trying to get accurate values. Right. But the Avs certainly have the prospect depth. And if they're not, willing to give opportunities in the NHL, like in certain cases, they should be willing to get value out of those things in the NHL, whether that's trading for a Taylor Hall or otherwise. Definitely. But there's always some other options. A bit of an interesting situation developing here with uh, Ilya Kovalchuk, where it looks like he might be headed towards free agency. I've said in the past, you know, if you get the right situation with a guy like that, giving him a one-year deal wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to try if you don't end up with a Taylor Hall. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and you just bury him, and it's whatever, and you're done with it. What are your thoughts on, first of all, the Kovalchuk situation in general, and then should it be something the Avs even think about? So Kovalchuk, kind of an odd situation just because – everybody loves him for the goal scoring. Right. Right. Uh, You love him for the shot and for the ability to just smoke a puck past a goaltender Uh, for Colorado. Obviously it's a misfit in terms of trying to keep up and, and style of play. But you would think if you put him say on a line next to Justin Comfer, which is not a great defensive line to, to begin with, and it's sort of a line with an offensive tilt to it. Yeah. That, that you know, those guys digging pucks and working around and, you know, try to... And setting up turret mode Kovalchuk. <laughs> exactly. And then Kovalchuk uh, taking over as your, uh, your primary gunner on PP2, which they insist on continuing to play. Uh and you know with that then you know he takes over that spot and it wouldn't cost anything because it looks like what's it looks like 
what will happen is Kovalchuk gets his big bonus on Sunday, the last big bonus that that's owed to him. Uh, the Kings and Kovalchuk look like they're they're looking at a, a mutual termination of the rest of his contract, and he gets to walk away. He gets to go to a different team and do whatever he wants. Uh, and the Kings are off the hook for next year's salary, but would have to keep him would have to keep the cap hit. Right. Uh, King that's King's business, whatever. I, uh, the part I care about is that Kovalchuk ends up a free agent and free to sign elsewhere. Uh, you talk about the cost of doing business. The cost of getting Kovalchuk is at this point, probably a million bucks and opportunity. Yeah, it doesn't matter really the dollar amount, right? If you get him on a one-year deal for the rest of the year. Right. And then what would you, you know, then then what, right? Right. That's like, how do you use him in your lineup? You, you mentioned the Justin Comfort, but how effective is he? What can he actually get out of him becomes the question. Right. Like this was a guy you remember who was well on his way to a Hall of Fame goal scoring career. One of the premier goal scorers of his of his generation uh, was on his way to honestly being a 600 goal scorer and left at age 29, left the NHL to go play in the KHL and used up what looks like the, the best of the rest of his career in the KHL and then came back, uh, signed with the Kings and scored 16 goals last year, but it was a mess and has three, three goals in 17 games this year while frequently being a healthy scratch. And, like, that's a rebuilding team. They don't need to be just rolling him out there. You know, whatever. Um, the, the question is, you know, is there anything left there? Is this is this year one and year two of Jerome McGinley in Colorado, or is it year three Jerome McGinley in Colorado, where it was obvious it was done? Right, and that's, I mean, that's what this is coming down to, right? Uh Funnily, funnily enough, it was the Kings who picked up Aginla for nothing, literally. Yeah. And if you have nothing better, if the Taylor Hall deal falls through, if the prices on someone like a Kreider are too high, this is an option that you can take a shot with. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't really hurt you. Yeah. The only thing that you would say is that the... <sighs> the trade market and all that still has a couple of months to play out. Right. Cobalt truck is going to be a free agent potentially next week. It's uh, a little early to make that decision. Maybe. Right. And that's like, I guess they could always just make that decision, sign him, give him, drop him in the lineup, give him a whirl. And then if he's bad, he's bad. And you still just make trades. Exactly. Maybe even drop his million dollar salary or whatever it is into into the trade. I mean, I don't. There's a there's so many different ways they could approach this, but doing that would also just give them one more body. Where it's like, hey, if, if what if Martin Cout does have a great second half of the season? What if Shane Bowers does have a great second half of the season? You've done everything in your power to put fifteen guys in front of them. Yeah, the Martin Cout one is a bit concerning to me. Bowers is a center. They want him to be a center. 
I don't think Kovalchuk really affects that, if we're being honest. No, I uh, understanding that. It's just that, you know, who who knows what the second half of the season will bring. And Right. If Kaut had a strong year, this wouldn't even be a conversation, basically. Yeah. I, you know, and maybe Kaut has a great finish to the season. It's possible. For we, say, sure. f- we say finish like it's almost over. It, we're not even halfway. <laughs> right. We're not even at the halfway mark yet. So. Um, I just, me mentally, I always think of first half as October through December and second half as January on. It's not quite that way. Um, but uh, Kovalchuk, I mean, I guess have the conversation internally and see if there's interest. I, I just think that you're probably getting an older player where you're just trying to squeeze the, to squeeze the juice. You're, you're, you're trying to get the last of it out, out of his career and move on. And yeah. I I don't even think it would be worth it at that point, but I would understand if they may have, if they had the conversation. Fair enough. There are other prospects to talk about. We will get to them as the WJC approaches as it's game day. And we got to wrap this thing up. So any final thoughts, AJ Taylor Hall in Denver tonight. It's, it should be a circus one way or another. Uh, you know how they do the, uh, you know, NFL players have become known for doing the post-game jersey swaps. And I guess yeah. the NBA has started. Um, I, I don't actually know who started it, but Von both, Miller swapping with on the sidelines. Both, both leagues have be, it's become a very popular thing to do. It would be really quite like the grand hilarity of Taylor Swall, Taylor Hall just swapped his own jersey after the game. Imagine he like walks up to Zadorov and they switch jerseys. <laughs> That would hurt my heart. (laughs) Well, you'll have to tune into the game to find out. That's going to do it for this one. And that's the end of the week of podcasts. We'll, of course, have you covered totally in post game for this abs versus devils. So just keep it locked to the DNVR.com for all of that content. And you will hear us on the pod again Monday. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have referred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com.